Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see you and, um, well, to see you as best I can. Um, but it's great to be able to spend a few minutes this afternoon just working through this new series. I guess what we want to do really is to prepare us really well for Christmas, which seems a really strange thing to then put up this um, this subject of John the Baptist. But in actual fact, John the Baptist, I guess somebody who's often almost ignored or passed by, is one of the most crucial elements in the salvation story that we see in the Bible. It's John who is the turning point, this, this strange, I've described him as a raging prophet, raging in a good sense. John's this character who, who seems so strange to us. We're going to be looking at that reading that, that Joe has just read for us. And Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 describes John. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. He lived out in the desert. And you would describe John as somebody who never took a step backwards. He confronted, he pushed, he raged. One of the things that I think John stands for us is as an emblem of confronting unrighteousness. John stands as the one who confronts evil. He shouts out to us judgment. And to fully understand the implications of Jesus, we've got to come through the uncomfortable, challenging character and message of this person, John. To look at John and say, what have you got to say to us to prepare us well for Christmas? The first thing that we see is this is a remarkable moment in the storyline of the Bible. 400 years earlier, God had spoken the last time through the prophet Malachi, sometime after um the building of the second temple. Those of you who are um, scholars of the storyline of the Bible and certainly the storyline of the Jewish nation, which prepares us for Jesus. One of the remarkable things that we see is for all of that second temple 400 year period, God is silent, doesn't speak. And then almost in this crescendo, in this breaking in, in this shouting in, we have the prophet John who breaks onto the scene and who speaks, not as a surprise. In fact, Matthew reminds us that this is expected. He reflects back on what is written in Isaiah, where he says that John is the one who is shouting repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he says he is the one who was prepared for, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Isn't that incredible that, that the message of John that breaks in is not a surprise in the story of line of the Bible, in the way that God unfolds his plan of salvation. Yet it seems to me that 
the religious leaders who engage with John, the, uh, the, the, the leaders of God's people, both religious and civil, who are in that moment uh, preparing for who they are as a people of God, are not remembering what the prophet Isaiah had said. But there is going to come one who is calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his make straight paths for him. One of the things that we really need to notice in that first few uh, verses, verse one and two, is this: John ties, John links more than links. He he welds together the coming of Jesus with the idea of judgment. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent is, is something that we need to do if we are going to avoid judgment. That, that happens in, in our lives. It, it's not necessarily just a biblical idea. If we are facing being uh, found out, found guilty, one of the things that we, we might recognize is that we need to acknowledge our guilt so that the one who we have found guilty before relents in their judgment. I guess many of us will remember as children the things that we might have done that we know we shouldn't have done and how saying sorry quickly might have meant that we didn't face the judgment that we might have faced. It's, it's that idea. It's the idea that you are going to be found guilty in front of the judge. And the thing to do now is to repent. That's his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he is linked to the one who says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's message of judgment comes with the coming of Jesus. Which is why we're talking about preparing for Christmas by looking at this character, John. One of the fascinating things to, to recognize in the way that the, uh, the, the Bible describes Jesus and how often we think of the coming of Jesus as absolutely essentially linked to this Christmas story that we're going to be celebrating in a number of weeks. Um, it is not quite so clear in the Bible. Obviously, we celebrate Christmas, but but actually of the four Gospels, it's only Matthew and Luke who reflect on the birth of Jesus. Mark and John actually ignore the birth of Jesus and start the message of Jesus from John and the baptism of Jesus, which we've been looking at for a few weeks. So when we talk about preparing ourselves for Christmas, we're quite rightly saying that we're preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus through the message of John. And one of the ways that we prepare for the message of Jesus is by realizing that Jesus comes in darkness. When I say darkness, I mean the idea of a place, a world, a situation which is broken, which is corrupt, which is unrighteous, 
which is marked in a way by the darkness that we see reflected in the shepherds and the birth of Jesus and, and all of those ideas that, that are more tokens to remind ourselves that Jesus comes in a world which is dark because the world needs to repent because Jesus is coming. And so if we look at this, this little uh, section, we might just draw out two ideas of how there is a contrast. We see in verse five that people from Jerusalem come to Jude uh, and all of Judea, they come to John who is baptizing in the Jordan area. And they come to be baptized, verse five. Conf then verse six, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. And yet there is another contrast, which we look at in verse seven, in contrast to those who embrace the message of John to repent, and to be baptized, to acknowledge guilt, to seek repentance, to mark that with the cleansing of baptism, there is another category. The category we read about in verse 7 to 10, while John was baptizing, we see that um, the Pharisees of Sadducees and Sadducees, who were the religious elite of the day, were coming to where he was baptizing. And here's a great picture of this raging prophet who doesn't step back. You brood of vipers. That's powerful, isn't it? I suppose my, my latest idea, my, late, my thought straight away, brood of vipers, goes to that famous scene in Indiana Jones where there's hundreds and hundreds of snakes at that terrifying scene. And John reflects and he calls these religious leaders, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. That's John's confrontation. What a stark contrast between those he baptized and those he confronted. And I think the first thing that we see in John's message of salvation, which really speaks to us today, is this. That we cannot rely on our heritage for salvation. That's the first thing that we see. We can't rely on our heritage for salvation. The Pharisees and Sadducees come to John. Uh, I guess they don't come. Well, they certainly don't come in, this, in, in, in a frame of repentance. They come to challenge him because John challenges them back. And he says to them, you say to yourselves that the way in which we are saved is because Abraham is our father see that? We have Abraham as our father. That's their security. And what John is saying is you need to understand that true salvation does not come from some sort of heritage, 
some sort of comfort from believing that we are on the good side, that we're part of this mass of being on the good side. And therefore, as long as we behave ourselves on the good side, that we'll be accepted. What John points his finger at is that heritage is no salvation. It's the heart that is changed that marks salvation. Contrast the religious leaders who rely on their heritage with the individuals, the ordinary people coming from the same city, Jerusalem, as the Pharisees and Sadducees, being baptized by John, but confessing sin, repenting, because what John is pointing to and what John points us to today is, to, is this, that it's a heart change that marks true repentance. It's not a heritage which says as long as we're on the good side. What does it mean, I guess, for us to be on the good side? We've heard so much over the past months about Christian countries and, and all of that kind of thing. That does not save us. That is no mark of salvation. That is no sense of being on the good side whatsoever. It's the heart that changes in response to a message from God, which comes from John, which says, repent, says, turn around, reflect and see that you need to be saved. There is no birthright. There's no inherited right. There is no geographical location or family location or behavioural location. There is a heart change, which John points out. Heritage is no saviour. But the second contrast is even more surprising. Because the people who come to speak to John, who he confronts, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, are the very ones who, in that culture of that day, you would consider to be the most religious and the closest to God. The religious. And what John shouts out, to those Pharisees and Sadducees, as much as to us today is this, the second idea, religion is no saviour. Religion is no saviour. Paul later on, and just, just to reflect on this for a few minutes, Paul later on, when he writes to Timothy, he says, he says this, all scripture is profitable. He's talking about the Old Testament. I've thought a lot about this as I've been working through uh, for this afternoon. And it seems to me that one of the most important ways in which the Old Testament is important for us to understand the message of Jesus is this. That the, the patterns of religion that God's people established, the, the religious leaders of the Old Testament 
were the same as the religious leaders of the New Testament who refused heart change and trusted in heritage or trusted in religion. Jeremiah writes about the religious leaders of the Old Testament. And he says this in chapter 6 and verse 14. You religious leaders, this is what you do. You dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. You dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. That's what Jeremiah writes about the religious leaders. The religious leaders who were ignoring the coming judge that John was declaring were effectively saying to the people, don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. Peace is going to be with us. You don't need to do anything other than trust us. They are behaving in exactly the same way as those of the past. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Religion, the patterns of religion are not a savior for us. But rather, the confronting message of the need to repent is the best thing that we can actually hear. That seems strange, doesn't it? The idea that. The idea of repentance is a good thing to hear. If we just pause for a moment and we think, think about the world that is around us. Think about what has gone on over the past year, two years, maybe even the past week, the past days across the whole of the world, narrowing into our own local area, maybe even into our own personal situations. There is injustice, there is pain, there is horror. The world is a broken, broken place. It's a world which sees injustice, profound injustice, where humanity abuses in a most terrible, awful way each other. And one of the great messages of the story of salvation in Jesus is this, that that is not lost to our God and will be judged. The judge is coming, John shouts. John shouts, the judge is coming. And that is great news because we need justice. We need terrible things to be resolved. Do we see the pattern here that John is portraying? Heritage is no saviour. Religion is no saviour. Because the judge is coming. John is declaring the coming judge. Verse 11, he says this. I baptise you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor 
gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What an incredible, powerful picture of Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand. That might not mean much to us today, but in the ancient world and probably in a world not so long ago, um, to gather the, the seed from the harvest, all of the cut um, wheat or barley or millet or whatever seed it is, is taken into a, an open, hard, floored place. And then a fork is is lifted up and a winnowing fork and it's throwing the seed up into the, the air and breaking it and crushing it so that the wind blows through that space and the heavy seed falls to the ground and all of the light stalks and the light husks are blown away. That's the picture that John is painting. It, for us, it doesn't perhaps come naturally. For the, for the first hearers of John, it would have just been an instant picture. What is the judge doing with his winnowing fork? He is separating out the wheat, the stuff which is valued, and the chaff, which is of no value. A winnowing fork that beats out and separates the good from the evil. Now, here's the next challenge. That does not look like the Jesus of the rest of the gospel. A tiny baby. A meek teacher. A crushed human being on a cross. That does not look like a judge with a winnowing fork. So how do we make sense of the message of John the Baptist? How does that become the Jesus of the Gospels? What we want to unfold over these next few, few Sundays is this. The idea of the coming Jesus, the idea of the meek baby, the idea of the meek teacher, the idea of the meek crushed human being on the cross is absolutely and completely linked in his first coming with his second coming. John is speaking in a way which was almost saying you need to see the coming of Jesus in his first uh, birth in this world and in his return as almost the same event. In a similar way to the way the Gospels portray, some of them portray the birth and some of them portray the baptism, or actually all of them portray the baptism, but some of them portray the birth with the baptism. And John is saying, you need to understand that Jesus coming the first time and Jesus coming the second time, it's like the same thing. If he comes first, he comes meekly. And here is this amazing picture of the nature of our God. John shouts, John rages judgment. And our God comes first with the grace of a saviour before he returns with the authority of a judge. That is grace, isn't it?
that Jesus comes first as a meek saviour. And almost in the same coming, he also comes as judge. If we were part of a different church group, the Episcopal Church group, for example, one of the things I admire of them is that they look at Advent in a different way. They don't celebrate Christmas until Christmas Day. No celebrations, no decorations. They reflect the story of Christmas, actually, in darkness right up to the moment where Jesus bursts in with his birth. It's a picture which Jesus portrays in a story, a parable that he told in Matthew chapter 25, when he was describing what his kingdom is going to be like. It's a story of 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. This bridegroom that they were waiting for. Do you see the link here? John is saying, repent for the kingdom has come near. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. They're together. The coming of Jesus is this moment. And, and the virgins are there. Five were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, uh, didn't take any oil with them. The wise men, uh, wise ones, wise men, that's the Christmas story, isn't it? Sorry. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time coming. At midnight, the cry rings out that the bridegroom is here. They all wake up and the wise virgins light their lamps in celebration of this wonderful wedding moment in the traditions of the people from the past, from this ancient people group. And the foolish virgins turn to them and say, can give us some oil, give us some oil. But it is too late. They have not prepared for the coming bridegroom. And that's the picture that John is preparing us for. When he shouts, repent, he's saying, prepare. He's saying, in effect, have your oil ready now. If there's one message that we need to hear, 2,000 or so years after Jesus, it's this. Do not think that because the bridegroom has not returned yet, that he is not going to return. Don't behave like those who didn't take spare oil. But listen to the message of John, which says, repent. Repenting is almost like accepting and carrying the oil now so that we are ready for the return of the king. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look into the stark message of the virgins. Look into the stark message of John. Rail against injustice. Delight in the judge. And delight in repentance. Amen. We're going to close uh, and then return in a few minutes just to...
maybe think about that for a few minutes. But let me pray before we go. Thank you, Father, for this message of salvation which John prepares us for. Allow our ears, our ears to hear this message of hope. Man, Paul, you don't have like pack a punch, do you? We've had uh, John the Baptist, we've had uh, judgment, we've had first coming of Christ, second coming of Christ. It's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And I'm thankful for it. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm totally thankful for it. But what goes through your mind when it's a new series for us? What goes through your mind when you choose that kind of thing? Uh, how did you come to decide that John the Baptist was the next thing we should we should be looking at? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I think, to be honest, for me, and it's something that's really I've been thinking about a lot over the past few years, is that we we spend a lot of time and quite rightly celebrating Christmas in a joyful way. But if we only make it joyful and we don't see the, the reason for it in a deep way, the fact that Jesus comes in into a dark world, into a bleak world, and, and Jesus comes as both redeemer and judge, we actually lose the power of Christmas. We don't, we don't celebrate it more by ignoring it. We can celebrate it more when we recognize the great benefit, the great incredible grace that is poured out when we recognize the need to repent. And, and it seems as though it's really powerful to me that of the four Gospels, only two of them recognize the Christmas story. And yet all four of them recognize this story of that this incredible moment of John the Baptist who, who turns the whole of the story of salvation. It's almost like John is this moment in the almost like you know in the, the middle of a seesaw is mm. the fulcrum moment which turns the whole story um god yes. god's people are being shout you know shouted at by every prophet to repent and john continues that and he says because the judge is coming and then jesus turns up looking nothing like a judge it's almost like we're being invited into doing Christmas like a grown-up. Yes, that's a great that's a great way to put it. We love it. We, we love being kids, though, don't we? We do, we do, and we're very we're very comfortable with the kid message. Yeah. Not that the kid message. There's nothing wrong with the kid message at all, but we're very comfortable with that one, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. Very, it's cozy, which yeah. we like at this time of year. Yeah. And yeah. um yeah. And and when we're asked to think about some of the things that John's bringing to us, this raging prophet, it actually asks us to be a bit more grown up and think a bit harder and yeah, wrestle with some things that maybe we don't actually enjoy wrestling with at times. But that's a great way to I mean you just you just sort of give me a springboard there for <laughs> for reflecting on how the world thinks about our lives, you know, actually, 
actually we we satisfy our lives by by joyful things you know we you know we fill ourselves with with entertainment and with mm-hmm. with great times and you know the the kind of insta living our best life kind of picture and the bible's message of what great joy uh, or where great joy is rooted isn't anywhere like that mm-hmm. it's rooted in a far more mature honest appraisal of the reality of the situation and the fact that we need both a judge and a savior there's uh, something really there's something really interesting isn't there about christianity i, I liked what you said about advent that it begins in the dark we, i haven't belonged to a church which has traditionally celebrated advent in the way that mm. you described and mm. That's a concept that's yeah, I'm gonna to have to think through a little bit, but that it begins in the dark. Mm. That's quite an interesting it's not often how Christianity is portrayed, is it? Absolutely. It's really hit me as I've been thinking about this week and what the way we portray Christmas. I think I think sometimes it we subconsciously we almost think God got it right because the the kind of mood lighting that a nighttime Christmas scene brings makes it absolutely beautifully cute and perfect for our Christmas cards. And that that's just ridiculous, isn't it? That that we twist it in that way. We make the mood, Christmas a mood lighting thing as opposed to the biblical idea of darkness, which goes right the way through the Old Testament where darkness is a sign of judgment and injustice and all of that kind of thing. And Jesus breaks in at that moment. You know, the skies break open above the shepherds, terrify the life out of them, where the glory of heaven is revealed Mm -hmm. because the Savior has been born in Bethlehem in the dark. And we think, oh, that's just, just perfect because, you know, maybe... Maybe Mary and Joseph had a nice little candle alongside the manger and it just spread a nice kind of, you know, not not too bright warm a white glow. light. Yeah, a warm glow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm getting Ambient into all lighting. this. You've got it. I'm getting into all the right candle colour lighting and all this. <laughs> that is just not what the Bible is trying to say. Yeah. It's saying in darkness, the Saviour comes. And I think that that does speak to our lives as well isn't it because yeah oh, lockdown is really rubbish uh, on mm. so many levels isn't it i'm yeah. sure we can yeah. all relate to that yeah. but it does confront us with like some of the dissatisfaction yeah some of the emptiness yeah, some yeah. of some of even like the darkness of our own lives like the yeah i do you know i think for men for a lot of people when you're in the desperate situation of lockdown and you know for many it's really desperate because mm-hmm. it's it's impacted them very personally mm-hmm. i think sometimes it it almost um you end up seeing the bleakness of the world in a clearer light because the whole of your world is orientated to not be distracted by nice cute things or mm-hmm. happy things mm-hmm you you're forced to confront 
at pain and suffering and hardship and it almost it almost tunes your sight to see the other things that are reasons for why we need a judge yeah which is really interesting because often the accusation of Christ, uh, against Christians is that their uh, their spirituality or their religion is a crutch. And actually, when you look at it from that perspective, actually, what Christianity allows you to do is look at the darkness yes. and actually confront it and and yeah. kind of look right into the eyes of it and kind of go, this is darker than I thought it even was. Yeah. But yeah. there is a light. There is yeah. a light that comes. It's... That's really that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, um, it is often described in that kind of yeah, crutch for life or pie in the sky or something that to get comfort you, you get yeah. you through. The reality is, it starts as John portrays to us here. It actually starts not with confronting out there. It starts with confronting inside us. Mm -hmm. That's what John is calling the people to do is to, you know, forget, forget about all of the other stuff out there. Confront what's going on inside you because mm -hmm. you need to repent. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, in the repentance, you then see the wider world in a different way. Mm -hmm. But it starts inside. Yeah. Good. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mind-blowing things. Uh, thanks so much for, for bringing those things to us. I'm, I'm half, if I'm being very honest, I'm half looking forward to the rest of the series and half yeah. like, oh, what's yeah. coming? But like, like uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it the grown-up way. Uh, and, uh, and it is our prayer um, and as from Christchurch that actually as we look at these things, that these things will bring you nearer to God and that yeah. this Christmas you will actually get a mm -hmm. sense of who God is in a real way and that mm -hmm. that will clarify your picture um, yeah. and, and bring you nearer to him. That's our desire. Right. If you Excellent. want to get in touch with us, I say this at the beginning, but I think it's it's worth repeating because we do feel a little bit distant. If you want to get in touch with us to talk through any of those things, maybe life at the moment does seem dark and um you're struggling to see hope in those moments then would you please get in touch with us we, we would love to uh, talk to you about those things and 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 pray with you um, and uh, support you in those things so so please get in touch with us by the means i said earlier in the program um, and paul would you maybe just close in prayer for us um, yeah, and sure. then we'll see everyone yeah. next week thanks Father, as we um, find ourselves again in this situation where we're separated more than we are used to, where we're back um, in some sort of lockdown, we're very conscious that this experience for many is so difficult and the past weeks have been desperately hard. And then we start talking about judgment and justice and repentance. And we pray that when we talk about those things, that we might be um, softened in our hearts to see that that is founded in the grace of a judge who comes first as a self-sacrificing saviour. Mm. We thank you for who you are. And we pray that until we're able to be together again, whether it's, uh, whether it's online or whether it's together, that you would bless us. 
so that we might know you and love you more in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless guys. See you next week for more of the Reading Prophet. See you Take soon. Care. Bye bye.